I'm Brad Whitaker, and this is the Sideline Dissonant, going to tell you today why the New England Patriots will always beat teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Oakland Raiders. Also tell you why LeBron James to the Lakers is still going to happen and why November basketball has nothing to do with his decision. Uh, But first, uh, the Green Bay Packers nearly beat the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road last night, but they ultimately lost 31 to 28 and they dropped to a record of 5 and 6. And the question that Packers fans are asking today is is this season over? Uh first let me show you the NFC wildcard picture to give you a better idea. Uh on the left you can see the teams that are currently in and then the teams that are in the hunt on the right. Uh you can see the Panthers and the Falcons are both uh, have solid records, but the Seahawks, the Lions, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Redskins and the Cardinals are all in the hunt, so the question is, do the Packers have a shot? Now, I'm, I think they do, and I think it will make sense to have Aaron Rodgers come back uh, in a couple of weeks. Now, he was throwing before the game, he was throwing 50-yard bombs like it was nothing, and the rumor is that he will be ready in three weeks. And look at the Packers' remaining schedule. It's looking pretty favorable when considering uh, Aaron Rodgers' will be back, or could potentially be back in three weeks. Uh, Brett Hundley's played pretty well, and uh, I think he's more than capable of beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially without Jameis Winston, and certainly they can beat the Cleveland Browns on the road. And then Aaron Rodgers could potentially be back for the final three games against teams that are all fighting for playoff spots, uh, the Carolina Panthers, two tough division matchups against the Minnesota Vikings, and then uh, the Detroit Lions. So, again, Brett Hundley played pretty well on Sunday. He had a rough game last week against the Baltimore Ravens, but yesterday he went 17 of 26, threw for 245 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Pretty good numbers, uh, certainly more than competent to be an NFL quarterback. And, again, when you have the Tampa Bay Bucks without Jameis Winston and then you have the Cleveland Browns on the road, He's capable of winning both of those games, and what happens in those next two games will determine whether or not Rodgers comes back. You know, you lose to Tampa Bay or you lose to Cleveland, then Aaron Rodgers should probably sit, uh, but, and if that happens, Green Bay should tank and hopefully get some draft picks, beef, beef up that defense a little bit. They need some work, but if they win both, Aaron Rodgers could potentially win three straight games and take Green Bay into the playoffs. That would mean they'd have to win out the rest of the way. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no margin for error for the Green Bay Packers. But if they are able to win five straight, beat Tampa Bay, uh, beat Cleveland on the road, and then Aaron Rodgers comes back, he's more than capable of beating the Panthers and then beating uh, uh, the other two teams, uh, Detroit and Minnesota. You know, the Minnesota matchup will be a tough one for him, but... Green Bay is still in the hunt, and you get Aaron Rodgers winning three straight at the end of the season, going into the postseason. Who the hell knows what could happen there? Uh, Don't panic yet if you're a Green Bay Packers fan. Brett Hundley showed that he was competent last night. Three touchdown passes, throwing for 250 yards, completing most of his passes. He can beat Tampa. He can beat Cleveland. And if that happens, 
Green Bay has a shot. So keep your fingers crossed these next two weeks. I think Aaron Rodgers could come back and carry Green Bay into the playoffs. Obviously, they're going to need some help from Atlanta and Seattle, uh, the two teams ahead of them, but they sort of control their destiny. They're going to play Carolina. They're going to play Detroit. I think Minnesota will win the division, but they will. it will certainly be favorable for them if they can knock off Minnesota um, in the final couple weeks of the season. Uh, moving on. And uh, this is an interesting topic, but uh, I'll lead it off with a clip. Snapping it in half, and then moments ago, here's what happened. Yeah, I think this, look, watch, watch this block. Look, and it doesn't stop there. Wow. Off look, the we, field. Got, we have another one right look here. Look at this. Oh, and a swing right well, there. This is crazy, because now you're going to get injected from the game. I mean, this is just selfish. All right, so this is going to be one of those segments where I talk about why the Patriots are a much better organization than the other 31 teams. So if you're not a Boston sports fan, there will be lots of eye rolling in this segment, and I'm warning you, you can leave now, but you should probably stay and maybe you'll learn something. Anyways, Brady got hit eight times on Sunday night against Miami's great pass rush. They really do have a good pass rush. They're wide-bodied, but they're quick and they're athletic, and, you know... Brady didn't have much trouble picking apart Miami's defensive backs, but again, he got hit eight times, and you know, even though the Patriots won easily, Miami is effective at getting into the quarterback's head, and you know, if they can work on their defensive backs a little bit and stop having quarterbacks like Brady be able to pick their coverages apart, Miami can have a pretty good defense because their pass rush is incredible. And, you know, Bill Belichick warned the Patriots team, particularly Tom Brady, about what could happen with Miami's pass rush before the game. And I think this says a lot about how the Oakland Raiders handled their situation yesterday when Michael Crabtree and Aqib Tlaib got into a fight. And I also think it says a lot about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the way they handle, you know, the day-to-day ongoings of being being an NFL team. Uh, Brady was on WEEI's Kirk and Callahan this morning, uh, and he was talking about what Belichick said to them about the Dolphins. And Brady had this to say. He said, they play physical, they play aggressive, and sometimes they get called and sometimes they don't. If the refs call it, they call it. If they don't, they don't. I always kind of lobby the refs all game, try to get a couple calls, but really didn't get any on Sunday. And it says, uh, this is from Nesson.com too, Brady did admit the Patriots were aware of Miami's physical style of play going into Week 12, and that head coach Bill Belichick warned them about getting involved in any extracurriculars. Brady went on to say, I think Coach Belichick actually does a great job of talking to us about those things. He says, look, this is what Sunday is going to be like, and he will show a lot of plays from the team that we're playing, and he'll show a lot of things that are happening after the whistle. He'll say, look, this is exactly what is going to be. We can choose to fight back and get a bunch of penalties and hurt the team, or we can keep our poise and swallow our pride and let them get the penalties. That's the key there. And again, this says a lot about the difference between Bill Belichick and a coach like the Raiders, Jack Del Rio. Here's what happened the last time Aqib Tlaib and Michael Crabtree matched up. Aqib Tlaib and Crabtree got into it, and he took that gold chain and ripped it off his neck. Now, uh... The, the Raiders and the Broncos played earlier this season, but Crabtree did not play that game. So that game actually took place toward the end of last year uh, when the Broncos and Raiders played. And uh, clearly, Aqib Tlaib and Michael Crabtree have a beef with one another. And 
you know, just as Belichick did before the Miami game, do you think if he were coaching the Raiders, that would have happened? Or do you think he would have told Crabtree to keep it together and let Aqib Tlaib be the one that penalizes his team? All right, Jack Del Rio, it doesn't take a genius of an NFL coach to realize that these two players were looking to start a fight. Clearly, Crabtree and Tlaib went into that game looking to start something, which is why it happened on, I think it was the second play on offense for Oakland. Right away, they got into a fight. Immediately, both players were tossed. All right. Belichick would have known that going in. I think most coaches in the NFL would have known that going in and say, hey, all right, you know Aqib Tlaib. You know he's one of the most aggressive cornerbacks in the league. He likes to poke players in the eye. He's going to try to start something, especially with a player like Crabtree, who's also a very physical wide receiver. Del Rio should have said, all right, let Tlaib get the penalties, just as Belichick said about Miami's pass rush before Sunday's game. Now, Let's compare the coaching of Belichick to that of Mike Tomlin from the Steelers. Uh, Similar culture to the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Look, the Steelers yesterday should have beat the Green Bay Packers easily, but as we all know, Pittsburgh relies on talent over culture and strategy, which is why they fell behind early but rallied late. You know, they simply had better players than Green Bay, especially without Aaron Rodgers. But here's an interview that took place uh, between Mike Tomlin and Tony Dungy before the game, and I think this says a lot about the way Tomlin manages his team. He says, uh, and again, this took place over the weekend before Sunday's game between the Steelers and the Packers, uh, Tomlin told Dungy, I'm going to abra- embrace the elephant in the room uh, regarding the game against the Patriots. There's going to be fireworks, but it's probably going to be part one, you know. Tomlin's indication, if you didn't catch it, was that the Steelers will likely be seeing the Patriots more than once before the 2017 season comes to an end. He went on to say, you'll burn more fuel trying to pretend like that doesn't exist than just to acknowledge the elephant in the room, Tomlin said. Man, that's going to be a big game, but probably if we're both doing what we're supposed to do, the second game is really going to be big, and what happens in the first game is going to set up the second one. It's going to determine the location of the second one, you know? So, that that game took, that interview took place before Sunday's game, meaning Tomlin still had three games to play before the Patriots come to town. So, almost a month between that interview with Tony Dungy and the Patriots visiting the Steelers, and he's already, he's not just talking about Week 15, he's talking about the AFC Championship game against the Patriots. This was Week 12, alright? Do you think Belichick is mentioning any other team in the NFL this week other than the Buffalo Bills? And that's why the Steelers can never get past the Patriots. That's also why Brett Hundley dominated the Steelers in the first half, because Pittsburgh was thinking about the New England Patriots in four weeks, not the backup they were trying to stop on Sunday. All right, The Steelers are not focused at all. Now look, they're going to bring the intensity in Week 15 against the Patriots. We know that, and maybe they'll win the next two games, and both teams will go in battling for home field advantage like most of us expect they will. But you shouldn't be talking about a game in Week 15 before you play the game in Week 12. And that just encapsulates... Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers, the organization that let Antonio Brown talk on Facebook Live in the locker room 
while Mike Tomlin's giving a speech to his teammates. The organization that signed Antonio Brown to a contract that is the size of all of the Patriots receivers' contracts combined. The same Steelers that let Le'Veon Bell hold out and then sign him to a franchise tag. And you know they're going to sign him to an extension on a massive contract this offseason. And you know, look, I, you have to give the Steelers some credit. They've managed to build one hell of a defense off of pocket change, but we know that's going to bite them down the road when some of those good defensive players are looking for big contracts. All right, moving on. LeBron to the Lakers. I still think it's going to happen, but it's amazing how the Cleveland Cavaliers go on a winning streak in November, and the Lakers start to struggle. They're 8-11, and and immediately everyone thinks there's no chance in hell LeBron leaves Cleveland. And here's a clip from Colin Coward's show saying just that. Remember, November basketball, here's Colin Coward. I like Kyle Kuzma, but Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, minimum, are a year away probably two. The Lakers don't deserve him. They're not close. They're not close. They haven't shown the kind of ownership, guidance, dependability, and star power that's worthy of LeBron James. Stay in Cleveland. Let stars come to you. Is this final? Final. It's over. I'm done talking about anybody else in LeBron. (laughs) Staying in Cleveland. It's over. The Lebronzo meter is all the way to the right. LeBron is staying in Cleveland. Look, I like Colin Coward. I watch his show a lot. That's why I play his clips because he he tends to sift through what people want to talk about. You know, he doesn't talk about regular season baseball in May. He knows what the heated topics of the day are. And and look, I've been a sports writer that has to put out five to six stories a day. I know. I know the urgency of putting out that big opinion that's going to grab attention, and clearly this was a hot take he discovered on the ride to work this morning and was like, I'm going to say LeBron's not going to Cleveland based off of November basketball. That means absolutely nothing. Look, for LeBron to lead the Cleveland Cavaliers, two of three things need to happen, and of those three things, one of those has to happen. The one thing that has to happen... Paul George must leave the Oklahoma City Thunder. And look, I think that's highly likely. The Thunder are currently 8-11, the same record the Lakers have, by the way. And, you know, clearly they have some chemistry issues to sort out. I think by the end of the regular season, OKC will probably be a top-four seed. I think they'll get it together, but that doesn't mean if Paul George and the Thunder aren't going to get knocked out by Houston or... Golden State in five games, because it's probably going to happen, and if that happens, Paul George, chances are, will go back to his hometown of LA and play for the Lakers. We uh, He said last year he wanted to play for the Lakers. It's probably going to happen. Okay, so Paul George has to go leave OKC and go to the Lakers, or, or commit to the Lakers, at least tell LeBron he's going to the Lakers, and then either Cleveland has to lose to Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals, or Cleveland needs to lose to Golden State in the NBA Finals in six games or less. And look, Cleveland has depth. They have talent. Isaiah Thomas isn't even back yet. They've won seven in a row. But we know Isaiah's contract situation will be interesting next offseason. You know, what if he has a mediocre year? Is he going to get a max deal? Is he going to get something for less? Is he going to stay in Cleveland? What if he has a great year? What if he has a bad year and he's kind of injured the whole time? Is he going to get a max deal? We don't really know what's going to happen with Isaiah Thomas, and we know it's going to hurt their defense because you don't get better having Isaiah Thomas on defense. 
defense. We saw that with the Celtics last year. And, and the rest of the roster is old in Cleveland. You know, that depth will go away. And, you know, although they do have a shot at the number one pick, which they, they got the Brooklyn pick from Celtics, and I think Marvin Bagley would be great with LeBron, uh, you know, those are really the only incentives I see LeBron staying in Cleveland. I think he has to go seven games against the Warriors, or he has to win an NBA title, and those are the only ways LeBron stays, all right? And and I don't understand this bad-mouthing of the Los Angeles Lakers right now. People are hypercritical of the Lakers in, you know, after they've played 19 games with a bunch of young guys. Let's not pretend a year under Lonzo's belt, Lonzo Ball, look, LeBron has never played with a pass-first point guard. I think he would like to play with Lonzo. He's going to be in the post a lot more late in his career. You know, another year under for Kyle Kuzma. He's been a pleasant surprise. Clarkson and Nance Nance would both make great role players, and I think LeBron would bring the best out of Brandon Ingram, and if you have Paul George there, that's a pretty damn good team. Let's not pretend that wouldn't be an attractive situation, especially if he he loses to the Celtics or gets crushed by the, the Warriors again in the finals. I mean, uh, last week, Chris Broussard said something. He said, if LeBron loses to Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals, he's absolutely staying in Cleveland because he's going to want revenge against Kyrie. And... That is the silliest take I've ever heard, because when has LeBron ever made a career decision on pride alone, all right? I think he's actually been pretty rational on the teams he's gone to in the past. I mean, he was the only one carrying the Cleveland Cavaliers when he decided to go to Miami and play with a roster of better players. Then the Heat started to get a little old. He saw what was going on with Cleveland. Kyrie was developing into a superstar. They got the number one pick and picked up Wiggins, and LeBron said, hey, maybe they'll trade it for Kevin Love. I'm going to the Cavaliers. That was also a rational decision because things were beginning to fall apart in Cleveland, as you saw in the NBA Finals against the Spurs. LeBron is going to go where it's best for LeBron. Not He's not going to make a decision on loyalty to Cleveland. He's already brought a championship there. He's he's not going to make a decision on to get revenge on Kyrie Irving. He doesn't care about that. If he loses to Boston or gets crushed by the Warriors in the finals, I think he's going to the Lakers, and I think he'll attract a superstar, probably Paul George, to go there as well. Um, I think George is going there no matter what. I think that's the reason the Lakers brought in Magic Johnson, not just to bring they didn't bring in Magic Johnson for the 2017 offseason. They brought in Magic Johnson to attract superstars in the 2018 offseason like Paul George. That's why Magic is there. And now that Genie Bus runs things in LA, I think that's a favorable situation for LeBron. Uh, also, Luke Walton's the head coach in LA. A bit of a pushover, but he's a smart guy. Ty Lu, also a bit of a pushover. LeBron likes that as well. Alright, let's not let a seven-game win streak in November November determine where LeBron is going to spend the rest of his career. He's also make, making a decision on where he's going to transition from basketball LeBron to business LeBron, and there's no better city to do that in than Los Angeles. Obviously, he could go to the Knicks. They got Porzingis, but we all know how dysfunctional the Knicks organization is. I know Colin Coward just said that the Lakers have been dysfunctional over the years, but I do think they're starting to get things together. Lonzo Ball needs to learn to shoot, but he he, he never really needs to be a premier scorer. I think he's going to be a triple-double king in the next two to three years. Um, it's just the scoring is going to be the hardest category for him to reach that, not the the assists or the rebounds. Uh, so I think Lonzo's fine. I wouldn't worry about him too much. And remember, LeBron 
brings the best out of players. I think you put him alongside Brandon Ingram. You put him alongside Paul George. He could do great things. And then you still got Clarkson and Nance out there. And who the hell knows who else would be attracted. You know some aging veterans would go to the Lakers as well. Uh, Let's not base our decision on LeBron going to LA off of November basketball. The Lakers are going to be fine. They're 8-11. and Alright? They're 8-11. and That's... They're not that bad. Like, I said the Lakers would probably finish the season 10, 12 games under 500. They're a quarter of the way into the season, and they're three games under 500. So they're kind of on track for that. I know LeVar Ball said he guarantees the Lakers are going to the playoffs, but let's go back to reality a bit. I think even Lakers fans were expecting this season to be a dud. Uh, Next year is the year the fireworks happen. Look, LeBron going to the Lakers, it all depends on what happens in the Eastern Conference Finals against Boston, likely, and then what happens in the war against the Warriors in the NBA Finals. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode, which will include uh, my power rankings after Week 12. Until then, I bid you adieu. <laughs>